I'm in the book of John, but today I'm uh, in the book of current events, and I'm going to talk about the moral crises that I see as in as a country, and uh, I don't know if this is a sermon as much as uh, I want to tell you what the Bible says, where I think we are. Uh, why do I speak on it? Seven years ago, uh, when Gavin Newsom declared an empire of San Francisco that could throw off all legislation and make her own rules, uh, we'll do marry same-sex couples in San Fran because we are a kingdom unto ourselves. And uh, I'm afraid he's going to be our next governor. So uh, don't worry, he's lying low, but uh, uh, I'm quite sure the Democrats will probably want him the next round to follow Brown. So uh, look forward to more good government. And, uh, but when you have just recently lived through a thing in which nine people and with only one majority, five to four, can say Proposition 8 that a liberal state voted in that forbid same-sex marriage, but nine people in a Supreme Court setting could say by federal law that vote is invalid, it's illegal, and you will accept same-sex marriage and threw out what we voted in. It's scary when nine men can now be the new moral conscience of the nation. When they at the same time can throw out the DOMA Act, uh, Defense of Marriage Act, that went in when Clinton was in, that said marriage was between a man and a woman. Who would ever think we would need a national declaration on what marriage is? Did you know, until the Americans got so smart recently, that going all the way back to Judaism, way back there, the nation of Israel began in 1445 B.C. with Moses and the Exodus. And even back to Abraham, and even back to Adam and Eve, there's always been a clear understanding of what marriage was, even by the pagan world. Whether you were Jew, then the Christian consensus, and then Islam from uh, 600 AD on. Obama was just in an African country and was saying, we are declaring that homosexuality and same-sex marriage is right. And the president of the country says, you won't declare it here, for we're a Muslim country and we know better. Now, a president of a Christian country to the Muslim world says it's okay. So we redefine uh, what God was mixed up about and what we've been mixed up about all these years, that marriage really is any gender, same gender, and so we have edited for God and for society for over 10,000 years. So what a day. And what I'm really concerned about are these young people. Some of you are so old, been married so long, you say, no big deal. But we're raising another generation that they're going to be taught in public schools, this is the pattern. This is the federal mandate. And they're going to be taught homosexuality as a lifestyle, as a life partner. It's one thing to be tolerant towards another view and allow it. It's another thing that it's legislated and now will be taught publicly in our schools. Uh, I had a, a believer in the church approach me and said, uh, is it true you're going to lose your 503C status as a nonprofit if you don't marry same-sex people? I said, well, I haven't heard that. She said, well, what will you do? I want to decide what church I want to go to. I, first of all, wanted to say thanks for the vote of confidence. <laughs> as though you invented a uh, backbone. I said, well, we're going to vote where God votes. We're going to stand where God stands. That's our plan. Now, the problem is some of you may not want to contribute because you won't get a tax receipt. 
That's a big thing. I'm hoping there's enough Muslims and Catholics and Southern Baptists in this country to stand up against it. Well, let's take a journey. Second uh, Timothy 3 says that in the last days for the church, perilous times will come. Well, they have arrived. And we're in the time uh, that we love pleasure, we love money, we love ourselves. Keep on with the verses. Now just keep on so they can get all. Uh, they'll be lovers of, uh, what's that? Lovers of what? Of self, lovers of money, uh, arrogant. All these things that have always been in culture. But I think he's warning Timothy. Watch out. In the last days, this will come into the church. And if you've been reading the papers lately, I see this, Rabbi so-and-so marries uh, Jim and Dave. Uh, rabbi, and so the rabbis are doing it. Then I see community pastor marries two men, same sex. And it's all over the board. There's not one voice of church anywhere that says, one group says it's okay, one says it's wrong. All of this is going on. Our young people certainly have to be confused their educators are going to say it. Many churchmen are divided over it. The politician, the highest voices in the land said, this is the new America. This is the new ethic we must adopt. So peril has come not only in the culture, it's going to be flooding over in the church. And you that don't know your Bible will fall for anything because you don't know what the Bible says we ought to do. Well, We'll be looking at Romans 1 after a while, but uh, I want you to consider what is your basic epistemology? Now you say, well, I can't even spell it. How could I tell you what it is? Can we put up the word epistemology? Yeah. Epistemology is a branch of philosophy. It's based upon the Greek word pistuo, that means belief. And it's, the idea is, what is the source of knowledge that shapes what you believe? Why do you believe what you believe is the issue? Why do you believe it? Um, let's say, well, let's take something. Uh, oh, let's take one like this. Uh, should a boy be uh, living with his girlfriend? What? Well, there's 10 of you. Okay, we know your view. The rest of you are praying about it. And the men are asking, depends on how pretty she is. Is that wrong? Well, okay, that's two. Uh, uh, is it prudish and puritanical to teach a girl not to have sex before she gets married? Or is that... Um, of course, that consensus is not held in this culture. Uh, I just read in that booming metropolitan paper, Contra Costa Times, <laughs> that little rag sheet of a paper, that they interviewed a gal who claimed she'd been raped on a date. And her own peers, the girls, spoke up and said, you're framing the guy. You're framing him. There's no such thing as date rape. And, and this is the article. Because you knew when you said yes to the date, you said yes to sex. And to withhold sex, you're the one that violated the guy. You broke contract. And all the high school girls chimed in, come on, girl, smell the coffee. To say yes to a date today means yes to sex. And to say no is violation, and you're doing the boy wrong. This is our culture. Uh, you don't work in the youth department over here. Gabe and uh, Paul and the team of youth workers we have, they're dealing with kids that are dealing with, uh, I cut my wrist a lot because I can't get a date. Or I feel like I'm short and fat as a young girl, so I cut myself. I mutilate. 
We get a lot of this. Or um, uh, I'm having sex with my boyfriend. How old are you, honey? I'm 13. Uh, you're 13. By 15, she says, I've had my first abortion and guilty me up. Uh, what we're getting in our counseling ministry uh, that's popping up more and more, parents coming in, uh, my son just told me I'm gay. How old is your boy? 15. How long has he felt this? Just came up in the last uh, months. My girl says she wants to be a lesbian. How old is your girl? She's 14. Uh, what do you tell the parent? What would you do if it was your boy? What would you do if it was your girl? You see, what used to be out there is now in here. There's hardly a family probably in our church that hasn't been touched that some family member has not openly become lesbian or gay. It's just, it's out there. See, I've attended the funerals of children in this church that the parents didn't invite you because they were too ashamed for you to know the child was a homosexual. Some died of AIDS, some just died. And the shame that fine, evangelical, born-again parents face, my boy went this way, my girl went that way, pastor, would you come to the funeral? Didn't even ask me to do it, just to attend. We're, we're ashamed, we're brokenhearted. I've just had people in the service today, first service, a couple comes up to me, please pray for our boy. He moved away, he's in Seattle, he's declared himself homosexual. What do we do? It's close. It's so close that for 22 months, we took care of Carolyn's ailing brother, who finally came out public, hid it for years, but finally declared himself he'd been into a gay lifestyle for many years. What do we do? Write him off, especially when he's dying of brain cancer. Go to the gay community. No, an evangelical uh, sister is the one that cleaned up after him for 22 months. We, we can't run from it. It's, it's on us. It's one thing for a guy to fornicate a little bit and get a little sex on the date. Boys will be boys. But it's gone beyond that now. And the next thing is girls must get abortions because if they're going to have sex, they've got to count on getting pregnant. And as a manly man, you figure out, babe, I'm out of here because I ain't going to be a father. I just want sex. And if you allowed yourself to get pregnant, it's on you, honey. I'll drive you to the clinic, but I'm not going to help support a baby. This is the treachery that's in our community and in our culture. This is such a world as we've been called to preach to. Now, uh, this matter of epistemology. Who determines what you believe? Well, let me give you some common sources. Uh, Let's take, uh, used to be maybe God and his word. Even if you weren't saved, you grew up around parents or family that had a Judeo-Christian ethic. Uh, you at least knew when you were screwing around, it was wrong. You didn't need anyone to give you a dictionary definition. You know this is wrong. Why well, no, it ain't wrong. It feels good, honey. No, no, you knew it was wrong because your mama, your daddy, your church, some influences, you crossed the boundary, and people still did it, but they could at least call it wrong. That's gone. In this, who shapes your beliefs? Family. Well, you just got to go to college to get rid of what the family taught you. One PhD can undo that quick. But you got to get away from that old folk teaching. They got to get current. You got to get modern, honey. You can't believe what your, your mama goes to church, does it? Yeah, well, poor thing. Old folks, you know. We're going to modernize you, catch you up to date. Peers, peers. I'm a 60s graduate, graduate from Richmond High. I know what that was going on in the 60s. Now, you got to know, I got high on aspirin. Because <laughs> I got saved young, see. And it, while all the buddies were doing the marijuana and coming back from Vietnam, loaded and spaced out, uh, God saved me young. But my peers, uh, whatever your peers is doing has got to be right. 
The majority, because you know the majority is always right. Because if, if the majority vote says Jews need to be killed and incinerated, you can't be wrong because you got the majority vote. If the majority says you got to have blue eyes and brown hair, although your leader is brown-eyed and brown-haired and an Austrian, but you got to kill blacks and gypsies and the invalid, and I got the vote, honey, and I've got the guns, it must be right. Well, I hear three Hebrew boys saying, O king, we're not careful to answer you. Heat your furnace as hot as you want. Our God said we shouldn't bow. We're not going to bow. We'd rather burn than bow. We'd rather burn than bow. Do you have any convictions like that? Where did you get them? You see, if you don't have biblical convictions about worldview, uh, all these social issues coming at us, abortion, same-sex marriage, homosexuality, and no morality, all of that playing field, what it is, it's two things. I want you to get this. Two words, post-Christian America and post-modern. Number one, post-Christian. That is, ethics are no longer governed nor shaped by the Judeo, that's from the Old Testament, Christian perspective. Uh, our founding fathers were not Christians. Most of them were deists. But they consented uh, to a divine word in the realm of ethics. Even Benjamin Franklin was a woman's man and slept around a lot in France, but he knew it was wrong. He just was going to do it. But they were governed by that. That ethic, that worldview is totally out of America. If you don't believe it, check the Supreme Court. Check the government. Check the, the rapid uh, slide we're having in moral. The only thing we want to stay honest about is money because we don't want crooks handling our money. Who cares who they're sleeping with as long as I make a dividend? Two, it's a postmodern world. Postmodern world is a nice white elitist way of saying we bought the fact there's no objective truth anymore. There's nothing outside of me that's true. See, right there, we say the Bible is the word of God. That's the authority. Postmodern says, I am the authority. There is no authority outside of me when it comes to the realm of ethics and morals. Because you see, there's no author out there that has authority to make rules over anybody. So I've chosen to make my own rules. I'll be tolerant of yours as long as you don't steal my wife and try to molest my daughter. But there are no absolutes. So whatever feels good, do. You're not breaking any rules. Those rules are all man-made anyway. Nobody out there's got a rule. Nobody has any authority to tell me what's right and wrong. Does that sound like the Garden of Eden? Adam, don't eat of this tree because it's the tree of good and evil. And Adam said, I'm not going to take your word for what's good and evil. I want to find out for myself. I'll make my own rules. And God says, it's going to cost you your life. And it did. And it cost him his life. And he's kicked out of the garden. And the whole race has been dying. So what determines what you will believe about anything? Here's a good example. What is a marriage? Well, it, it was always simple up to now, wasn't it? What? what? What's a marriage? Uh, don't insult my intelligence. Well, go tell the Supreme Court. They've seemed to pass grammar school. They seem to be fairly intelligent. But marriage has gone on record in this country. It's no longer what Genesis 2 said. Adam and Eve, you shall leave mother and father emotionally. You shall form a new union. 
You shall become one flesh. That's more than sexuality, but it includes that. And that one flesh will procreate the generation, will keep the race going. And um, you shall become one, and let no man break up this union. Let no one interfere with it. And Jesus reached back in Matthew 19. He said, that's it. That's what the definition is. Don't let anybody break it. Don't let anybody ruin it. That simple definition is no longer the consensus, uh, especially if you're under 25. It's all up for grabs. See, that's why I just recently read in, uh, before Newsweek went out of print, they, time took it over, they said about the Republican Party, old, white, and dying. Old, white, and dying. See, what's running this country is the young vote, not the gray-headed vote. What's winning these elections? Uh, we got all these young people who've been living with their boyfriend, living with their girlfriend, been smoking pot ever since high school. They're coming up, they actually vote. They, they actually vote. And they're voting in whatever they're doing. And they're going to vote in politicians to legislate whatever they're doing is right. And now they're in the realm of morals, where only the church and the home ever spoke. Now the public sector is telling us what we can do morally and what's acceptable. So this is epistemology. What determines what? Uh, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, I would say if God says, don't do it, that's enough for you. If God says, do it, it's okay. Let's take marriage. Uh, a lot of folks think God is prudish, but last I checked, he invented sex, not Hugh Hefner. <laughs> Can I get a witness? <laughs> God came up with it. And, and they've studied conservatives, and they seem to figure it out pretty good. Or these kids are being born somewhere. <laughs> they've done it, read book and different things, that conservatives in their sex life were more, see, a lot of sex is what you can have, but only God can give you a sex life where you can get some satisfaction. Amen. Where it's enough. It's enough. Can you become a one-woman kind of man? That's what God does in the heart. He takes men that have been a lot of women, full of adultery, full of fornication, full of whatever, pornography, or whatever their sexual uh, outlet has been, and all of a sudden, God does a work in the heart, says, I could be satisfied in the bonds of marriage where God blesses it. I no longer have to be under the curse of God for sex outside of marriage. Where does sex belong? It belongs in marriage. Now, you folks that are married need to get with it. <laughs> quit claiming a headache. Quit, going, quit shutting down. You ought to celebrate. The Bible says celebrate. It didn't say celibate. <laughs> Big difference. You heard that. This monk went downstairs and he's studying the manuscripts they'd been copying for years. And he went down to see the original. And all of a sudden they hear a guy scream out. This monk screams out. And the guy says, what is it? What is it? And he's yelling out. It says celebrate, not celibate. So here all these uh, celibate priests, you should have been celebrating. You shouldn't. Whoever made up that the priesthood ought to be celibate. Absurd. What a yoke they put on the Catholic ministry. Absurd. I'm just talking. I'm spouting off. This is my platform. They don't, let, they don't print me in the papers. I get to talk here. Uh, so, great advertisement for God is marriage, sexuality in marriage. The marriage bed is honorable. God blesses it. Hey, we need to send that message uh, to our young people that we're not a bunch of prudes and we're not, a spell, not afraid to even spell sex. And some, as Rich used to say, thought it was a number between one and seven. No, no, it's a real entity. It really exists. It's okay. But when you read Leviticus, look at Leviticus. Turn there, turn there. I'm listening for paper. Turn off your phone. 
We've got a Bible. Some way, show me you're looking at the text. Leviticus 18, God gives a bunch of moral legislation. And in that, he's telling Israel in verse 24, you there? Do not defile yourselves by any of these things. Why? For by all these, the nations which I am casting out before you have become defiled. For the land has become defiled. Therefore, I have brought its punishment upon it. So the land has spewed out its inhabitants. But as for you, you are to keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not do any of these abominations, neither the native nor the alien who sojourns among you. For the men of the land who have been before you have done all these abominations, and the land has become defiled. So the land has spewed you out. I don't want you to do it so that the land will not spew you out as it spewed out the nations before you. And God says it's abominable, and one of the meanings of this word is rotting meat. It stinks what they're doing. I don't care what legislators think. I care what God thinks about my morals. And he says, these things stink that these nations have been doing. And he told Abraham, I can't bring you into Canaan, Abraham, Genesis 15, until the sins of the Amorites are filled like a cup. And when they sinned up to the full, I'm going to drive them out, and I'm going to give you the land. What are the Canaanites doing? Look, follow. Verse 6. Verse 6 through verse 18. They're committing incest. They're sleep, they're having sex uh, with their relatives, uh, sex with their father, with their mother. That's verse 7. Verse 8. Uh, sleeping with their mother, uh, sleeping with their sister, daughters. It's incest. They're sleeping with kinfolks. And he sets up the boundary. Someone asked, where did Cain get his wife? Cain married his sister. God had to make it. Who else was it for him to marry? But incest never existed that was never considered in the early days of the race. Now he sets the boundaries. Do not have sex with a family member other than a husband or wife. And he said, for this reason, I'm throwing out the people because they sleep with anyone in their family they want, including their mother. Now he goes on. Verse 19, do not have sex with a woman during her menstrual period. Verse 20, you shall not have intercourse with your neighbor's wife. That's called adultery. Don't do it. You shall not give any of your children to a sex god called Molech. When you get into sex, you'll even offer up your kids to it. You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. It stinks in the nostrils of God. I hate it. You shall not have intercourse with any animal to be defiled with it. The common animal of sex in Canaan was goats. They slept with goats. And they slept with sheep. That was what they did in the ancient Near East. Uh, I have a, had a pastor friend that pastored in New Jersey. And when I visited him at one time, he said, Phil, I could take you to places in New York City where men sleep with goats that they keep in their apartment. Syphilis is believed to come out from the animal world, even as AIDS was believed to come out of the monkey world. People having sex with monkeys contacted their diseases. Man has been having sex with anything get his hands on. Mother, sister, cousin, auntie, brother, Wife, same sex, animal, unrestrained, unrestrained. And this is way back in Leviticus. This is 1400 B.C. What's new? When did he destroy Sodom? Genesis 19. 
back there with Abraham, way back. How long has the race been out of control in the realm of sexuality? From the beginning. From the beginning. It's nothing new. The atrocity we're living through is legislating that it's the norm, it's right, there's no wrong. Hear me, young people. The Word of God, God will not be mocked. And if he makes a rule and a boundary, I don't care what the Pope says. I don't care what the governor says. I don't care what the president says. God will not be mocked. You don't break his rules. They break you. If you break them, he'll break you. He'll break you. You call us prudish. You can call us ophogy. Let me tell you, we're not afraid of sex. I have three children. I still don't know how they were conceived, but we had them. <laughs> we're not afraid of the subject. It's healthy. It's wonderful. It's in the right place. I got mixed up with this. I was preaching to our troops in Dusseldorf during Desert Storm. And I was holding a Bible conference for the Brits and for the Americans there. And I went over there, I was preaching, and I was giving an illustration. We must put things in the right place. And I was trying to, you know, all these military men. I said, sex is good in the right place. I said, it's like fire. Fire on the roof is danger. Fire in the fireplace is good. I thought that was a good thought. <laughs> they came up to me after the presentation. says, you mean then we ought to have sex in the fireplace? I said, you totally missed it. You totally missed it. If you're married, just about any place you can, well, anyway. But get off the roof. Well, I don't know what that's got to do with it, but I just came back. These are fresh insights. Uh, turn to Romans 1, where he says that we are to preach the gospel to a race that's in rebellion. But he says, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it has the power to save people. What kind of people? The kind of people he's going to go ahead and describe. Now, there are people in verse 18 that God is showing his wrath to. God is presently, all the way from the Garden of Eden, has been showing his wrath on the human race. God's already destroyed the earth once in the flood. God has destroyed many different nations. God's wrath is not just the tribulation and it's not just hell. He's been showing his wrath ever since the rebellion of man. He's been eliminating nations. He's been bringing storm, disease, disaster. God has been unveiling, I'm angry with the rebellion of the human race. So he goes on. And he says, all these people who don't have a godly fear of me, that's ungodliness, and they're unrighteous, and who are stuffing, they're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Hold God down like in a, uh, I think a jack-in-the-box. Hold God down. We don't want God to get out, get known. Get him out of schools, get him out of churches. Put a liberal preacher up there. Get a guy that gives book reports, but don't tell people what the Bible says. So much apostate religion in this country. Dead, dead men preaching to dead bones. Non-born-again church, anathema apostasy. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And it goes on. That which is known about God he made evident to men. Creation was his display case. And instead of them saying, there's a great creator, they say it sprung from evolution. It sprung from amoeba. It sprung from some ancestral swamp where something crawled out. And thank God we finally got a gorilla that gave birth to us. And the intelligent science community buys that. We've got to get God out of science. And now we want to get him out of ethics and morals. And we're doing a good job of it. First of all, he's not welcome in the lab. 
because he's not up to date. He never met Charles Darwin. Two, get out of the moral business, God. Don't tell us what to do. For we're in love with ourselves, and we've made ourselves the arbitrator and the legislator. Now he goes, three, three things I want you to get. He says, they, in verse 23, they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of a corruptible man, birds, four-footed animals. When man, first of all, said, I fire you, God, from being my God, I'd rather worship a monkey, a golden calf, or another man, but you will not be the object of my worship. Consequence. There's their choice. Watch the consequence. Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored. Second rebellion. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie. And here's the lie. It's not a lie, it's the lie. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Did you know Americans worship two things, their bodies and money? They worship themselves and they worship money. But they don't worship God, though they play the church game. Third, for this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. You don't want me to be your God? You want to worship the creature? Guess what you're going to do? You're going to give up natural sexual functions, and women now will have sex with women, which is unnatural, and the men will have sex with men, and they'll commit indecent acts, receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Third choice, and as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved, dirty, filthy mind, a mind that could be brilliant, made in the image of God, they will now give their thinking to depravity. They will be filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinances of God and know that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. This is the world, Paul says, I'm preaching the gospel to. Now hear me, hear me. On one hand, we can stay depressed about the condition we're in. Watch all the fox you want. Fox has no cure. They can register complaint on the conservative side. Paul said, I can't change Nero nor the sin of Rome, but I can preach the gospel. And the gospel is the only thing that's got the power to change this kind of people. The gospel can change this kind of people. Because here's what we're hearing in the church. If you're a homosexual, you are one for life. We can never, we must just be kind to them. Uh, you know, it's like we got to keep petting the tiger. It'll always be a tiger. Just pet it and treat it good. The gospel we preach has the power in it to change the leopard spots change the, and Paul didn't come and say, I'm going to get another senator voted in. I'm going to get another Nero in. It's not politics. It's gospel that changes the wicked human heart. The gospel. The gospel. So guess what we ought to be doing? A sleepy, cold Laodicean churchman. We ought to wake up. We ought to be interceding and praying and say, this is our final hour, perhaps, as a nation is in decline, for judgment is upon us, and it will increase. I don't know what God's going to do when he's through with America, but judgment has begun. God is already giving us up. America, you're on your way out because you threw God out, and God is not going to bless America when you throw him out. No, he will not. 
And don't, don't come up to me and talk about being a patriot. I vote, I'm white, and I was born in Richmond. And I pay taxes. But I'm telling you, this country's in trouble. The nations are in trouble. Armageddon is coming. Judgment is coming. There's a great day coming. And we used to sing an old song. Sinner man, where are you going to run to? Sinner man, where are you going to run to? Where are you going to run? Where are you going to run when Jesus comes? You'll run to the rocks, but they won't hide you. You'll run to the rocks, but they won't hide you. The only place you can be hid is in the gospel, in Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9. I'm not done, but I want to stop, I guess. I think, I hope. You shouldn't have put that roast on. Look at 6, 9. This is what Paul, when he was dealing with the Roman Empire, he said, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators. And I assume in our day, everybody's been a fornicator in their youth. That is just uh, America and, and the, the sexual revolution especially if you're under 20. Now, if you're not that category, don't come up and give me a bad look. Uh, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. Effeminate didn't mean a boy with soft features. It meant the passive partner in homosexuality. This was the name they gave them, the passive partner. Uh, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will, will inherit the kingdom of God. Well, I've just eliminated about 90% of this church because you're in one of those categories most likely. And if you're not, God's got a list in Romans and he's got a list in Galatians. Don't worry, he'll get you. You're in there, honey. And if not, he'll just say, sinners, sinners. But thank God he didn't stop writing. Such are some of you were. Well, I don't know. They've changed definitions on English. Is this still a past tense? I believe in the Greek it is. Such were some of you. But you've been washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Our God saved you, put his spirit in you, and he broke the power of sin over you. If you've been a womanizer, he could break that power. If you've been a drug addict, he breaks that power. The gospel's got the power. It's got the power. Not therapy, not politics, the gospel. Your, your, your counselor can't set him free. I'm sorry. I can't set him free. If you come up to me in this service today, you say, I'm a homosexual, I was born that way, and I'll always be that way. I said, no, 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 you're not, no, no. Because here's the argument. I was genetically made this way. Well, honey, let me tell you, we've all got a genetic mess up. We're all related to Adam, and we've all been sinning ever since. I've got a genetic connection back to the father of the rebellion, and I act like Adam's race until it got transferred to a new family. Now I'm in a new family with a new head, with new power, and the gospel sets drunkards free. The gospel sets womanizers free. It sets fornicators free. It sets homosexuals free. There's no category of sin that the gospel cannot liberate you from. No category. No category. I, I want to say this. I, uh, I feel I'm, I'm ready to go, but I must stop. Uh, is that uh, the, the culture we cannot change. We like to. And that's why you can become a political activist. Help yourself. I, I just, it would wear me out. I, I want to preach the gospel. It's the only thing I believe in. I don't believe in politics. I do not because I see the mess they've made of things, and it's not getting better. I don't have any confidence in either party, sorry. My confidence is in the gospel. You need a savior? 
And God said, hear me, when my son, when I gave him, I did not spare him one drop of spit. I didn't spare him one plucked whisker. I didn't spare him one thorn. I didn't spare him one punctured place in his body in order that I could spare you from my wrath. I know how to get you out from my wrath. It's through my son that I poured my wrath on. Come, if you'll come. I don't care who all you slept with. I don't care how long you've been, whatever. I don't care who you've killed. I don't care what you're, you come. Jesus bore the penalty of God, the wrath of God, and God wouldn't spare his son. He said, I am going to, I am going to kill you if you take their place. I will not spare you. I will not rescue you. You must go to hell for them if you ever want to get them to heaven. And the son said, so be it. If I can get one sinner home, Father, I'll go to the cross. And friend, there will be millions of us there saved out of homosexual life, sexual misbehavior, every kind of sin, and we'll be there around the throne clean in the blood of the Lamb because the Lamb bore my curse, bore my penalty. God did not spare him so he could spare you. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. So bring your immoral young people, young people, when you fall into sin and you think you're a slave, our gospel will set you free. Our gospel will give you hope. I don't care what your mama is. I don't care what your daddy done. I'm talking about a God that will become your father just like he did Paul Crandall's. Daddy died at 12. Mama was bipolar. He was a kid that ought, the courts ought to have raised him, and he ought to be on his way to hell in a prison. But he's our youth pastor because the gospel works. The gospel saved him. The gospel turned him around. The gospel saves. I want to say this, that uh, in regard to uh, what should we do with those who are struggling, we ought to offer them hope, and we ought not to be shocked because it's, it's invading families, churches. We've got young people confused. Uh, people, uh, I've met with Christian workers that have told me uh, I, my propensity is homosexual behavior. I, I'm not doing it, but I want you to know uh, as my counselor and friend, it's my battle. Should I think any less of this person than a guy that says, I'm tempted with women? No, no. See, a man can understand, well, sure, all men are tempted with women. The issue is what you're tempted to do with them, kill them or, or what? You know, I said, well, we can understand that temptation, but over here, he's a weirdo. No, 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 no. That's the worst thing we can do. Do not make fun of them. Do not treat them as less than human. I'm sorry, they're an intelligent bunch of people. They're lawyers, they're teachers. They're not just stupid, weird names. And they're not just out there. They're in our family trees. We had 12 grandchildren. I'm saying, oh, Lord, would you protect them from any of this behavior? But I want you to protect them from an immoral lifestyle. I want you to protect them from the, the sins of the culture. The culture is no friend to Christianity. never has been. Uh, I think we should be understanding to the struggling. If you're an unsaved uh, homosexual attending this church, I hope you never sense that I'm afraid of you or that I don't love you. My gospel says Jesus died in your place. And if God could embrace you, so can I. I won't endorse your sin, but I will evangelize you. I won't tell you what you're doing any more than the murderer or the womanizer. Oh, it's okay, it's okay. No, it's not okay. It's wrong. It's sin. It's why hell is populated. You go to hell for it but so will heterosexual misbehavior. It's not us just picking on this crowd. No, sin. Sin is what populates hell of any kind. It comes in all varieties. I want to say this. Be careful. We have many parents in this church 
that are raising children in the clutches of this. You don't know. They won't tell you. They tell our youth pastors. They tell our counselors. You don't know. You don't want to know. Is your Christianity big enough to say why? Honey, did you know Jesus loves you? And we believe our gospel can set you free. But you don't know the struggle I have. I, I, I'm struggling to do this. I, I've never been there before. I've never done that. I've never been a drug dealer before. I've never been a murderer before. But I'd like to tell you on the cross, murderer, I just read in Luke, oh, the, the other thief had been in an insurrection and he had murdered. And Jesus said, you know what? If you believe me, I can get you to heaven. I'm afraid we will say our gospel cannot work in such a culture. But Paul, that great evangelist, that saved Jewish rabbi, said, Rome, I'm coming to you, and when I get there, I'll be in chains, but I'm writing you a letter in the meantime, and when I hit the Appian Way, I'm going to be preaching the gospel. It can save Nero, who's going to behead me, and it could save the whole homosexual community if God chooses my gospel. I'm not ashamed of it, for it's the power of God unto salvation. Stand with me. Oh, Lord, give us revival. Lord, let us know the culture won't reach the culture, that our culture is going to hell rapidly, immorally, and it hates you, Father. I'm sorry, Lord. You are not welcome. You have been uh, voted out. We've exchanged you for gods of money, sex, personality, cults. But we hear, Lord, hear me, Lord, hear me, Lord. We're here to say, we bow before a name that's above every name. And we bow in our heart for that one that every knee shall bow. You are an awesome God. You are powerful. And we were in all these categories of sin someplace. And you came and booze didn't save us. And shaking hands with a mayor didn't save us. And, and getting in a political party. We met Jesus. And for me, Lord, it was South 15th and Cutting in that little old building that's not big enough to hardly hold 100 people. But I met Jesus. I met him. And he changed the punk into a child of God. Oh, Father, wake up the church that's asleep. Wake up the church that thinks the gospel is anemic that we've lost many of it, don't know our Bible, don't know this gospel. Father, we, by your grace, by your grace, as long as you help us in the San Francisco Bay Area, where they would stone me if they could hear me preach over in the Castro District, I would want to tell them Jesus loves you. Jesus died on the cross. He can set you free. And I can't keep you from hating me, but I don't hate you back. I don't hate you back, for I've got good news for you. Jesus can set you free.